Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be covering the big geopolitical stories of the week. And there are quite a few interesting things that happen. So let's just get right on into it. What is on your radar? Well, we're going to do Russia-Ukraine and what's going on in that conflict. But then we'll start talking about what's going to happen with Belarus and how they may be hosting Russian troops in their country. The Western Europe and the U.S. is actually fighting about sending equipment to Ukraine. While we found out this week that Bulgaria helped Ukraine a lot, and Putin didn't really like that when those reports came out. Boo-hoo. And then we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk he about that. He doesn't want Bulgaria helping Ukraine, but he wants Belarus to help him. Yeah, well, so, yeah, and we'll, we'll get into how you know, Bulgaria was sort of like straddling that line. They wanted to support Russia because they did, they had a lot of trade agreements with Russia. But oh, they that's said, probably why then. Screw that. We're going to help Ukraine. Good for them. Yeah. We're going to hop over to New Zealand. Breaking news from Wednesday night into, it was for New Zealand, it was like Thursday morning. Their prime minister resigned a few months before new elections were going to be held. We'll talk about that, the, the geopolitical implications and how Japanese policy could actually change New Zealand policies and how that's going to help or hurt the people in that country. After that, get right into what China is doing. We'll talk India and China. That conflict continues to heat up. China is expanding their intelligence warfare as a precursor to invading Taiwan. And we'll finish it all out. Talk. We'll get into South America and we'll talk Colombia and how Reports came out this week that they actually spied on Russia and Cuba over the last few years. So really interesting story there. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, well, what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? Well, it's, a, it's a sad story this week, and that's mainly due to the tragic helicopter crash that killed a lot, a few of the leadership team of Ukraine's interior ministry. Yeah. You know, making matters worse. One child was killed. 11 more people were wounded because that helicopter actually crashed near a kindergarten and an apartment mm -hmm. complex in the Kiev region. So it was one child, because whenever I had read the article, they claimed it was three children. It has been going back and forth, but the only report I could really confirm was that at least one child. Okay, so death. there might, it might be a little different it, if they decide could, to give us more information. I mean, yes, they, they're, being, <laughs> they're just being secretive. Yes, the, that's because an investigation is going on. Okay, well, that is obviously heartbreaking in any at any point in time. Yeah. Is there any word on what caused the crash and has Russia been implicated? I mean, obviously, that's where a lot of people's minds are going. <laughs> First thought, it's got to be when, you know, it's the Ukraine interior ministry. It's got to be sabotage. It, it very well yeah. could could have been. Now, the official cause for the crash has yet <laughs> to be announced. There has been no suggestion from any Ukrainian official that there was Russian involvement. 
the uh, the early indications are that the crash was caused by pilot error and uh, then there okay. was a, a dense fog in the region so put those two together and, and that kind of caused it although yeah. like i was saying multiple countries have offered to help in the investigation and they want to be assured that there were no nefarious actions from any other country so it's not just, you know, regular civilians kind of thinking, hmm, maybe Russia sabotaged the flight. Countries actually want to oh, make yeah. sure. Okay. Well, that yep. ought to tell you something right there, huh? Yeah. yeah so man, now I can't remember all the countries that came, but there, there were a few like Germany and Spain that came out and said, a real, a, yeah, initially they, they just said, hey, we'll help. What do you need? And, and we'll get this investigation done. And this comes at a time when Russia is attacking Ukraine from all sides. So Yeah, and, and if some of the reporting that I'm reading is true, they could actually be staging troops in Belarus right now for a renewed offensive into Kiev. And Belarus is just letting them stage there. Yeah, well, not so much letting them mm-hmm. as they were told by Putin that you're going to do that or you're going to face consequences. Right. There was some insider reporting. Now, this is a single source and you don't, you know, I don't really like single source, but yeah, put the information out there because it's kind of believable that they could be doing this, mm-hmm. that Russia is actually moving troops to Belarus, hidden inside railway tankers that move, that transfer from Russia to Belarus. And what would be the reasoning for hiding them in those tankers? Well, it's, not like, it's not like the relationship between Russia and Belarus has been a secret. Like we knew Belarus was leaning towards Russia. Yeah. So I don't understand why, why all that drama. <laughs> so this, my analysis of it is it has very little to do with implicating Belarus. Russia does not care if Belarus is implicated in all this. Yeah, It's really, it's a strategic thing. So over the course of this entire invasion, Russia has been called out for doing shady things. So that has them working very hard to have their troop movements go unseen. So that doesn't. Oh, get... they're tired of being called out for the BS. <laughs> OK, well, yeah, it's the BS, but it, it's also having the ability. They don't want Ukraine to know, you know, what they're doing strategically as a military force. Well, now they know they're sneaking troops in tankers into Belarus. Yep. Everybody from listening in Ukraine, please tell Zelensky to watch everything. Check check the tankers. Yes. Check the tankers. Yeah. I'm sure they know already. So so what they're they're trying to do, you know, all that open source reporting we talked about. Yeah. But it allows Ukraine to kind of set up for that fight. And, and it, it helps Ukraine plan for an attack and it helps them protect their capital. It's just that those reports actually need to be verified. That's why I said it's single source. I don't like it, but yeah, you know, put the information out there just, just in case. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because it could also be a misdirect. You know, the U.S. Yeah. used that against Germany in, in World War II to great success. So if Ukraine would see this and it's a misdirection and and they were to increase defenses around Kiev, a Russian attack in maybe another location would see very minimal pushback, like an Odessa or something like that. So not really the quiet winter you hoped it would be. No, definitely not. I, it looks to me like Putin really wants this war to be over, not peacefully. 
but he wants to move on to the next objective. And then, you know, once this war for him is over, if he's successful, he's going to replenish his troops, fix the Russian economy. With this increased Russian troop movement in Ukraine, will the Ukrainians be able to defend themselves properly or will they need more support from NATO? Well, honestly, NATO should have gotten involved militarily a long time ago. That's just my belief, my opinion. These billion dollar support packages, they're just prolonging the war. So you're just going to have to keep spending, putting together these billion dollar support packages. And all they're Uh doing is just keeping their hands clean of it. They're not doing a good job of keeping their hands clean, though. I see Russian officials calling this a NATO war. Now you mentioned that NATO countries are fighting over sending equipment to Ukraine. So what is the latest there? So this all centers around Germany, who I don't really I, I don't think that Germany understands what being fully aligned against defeating Russia means. So an, another little uh, piece opinion. of my opinion, and, and I think other people have seen this on several occasions, Germany has taken a neutral stance on supporting Ukraine. This week was no different. Mm-hmm. Ukraine needs tanks. They really do if they're going to defend themselves against Russia. Now, recently, the UK sent their Challenger tanks, but many military officials feel as the Leopard 2 battle tank from Poland and Finland are actually the best fit for the war in Ukraine. Before we further discuss the Leopard tanks, I just wanted to point out that Germany probably isn't too keen on leaping into another war since the last few haven't hmm. gone so well for them. They happen to be on the losing side. So yeah, that might be that might be playing into their trepidation part part of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's get back to the tanks. I just mm-hmm. thought that I wanted to start giggling whenever you said that they didn't fully understand what being fully aligned against feeding Russia meant. And I'm like, I think they understand. I think they're just like Oh, my gosh. What do we do? (laughs) Keen observations from Tiana. That's why you guys come to listen to this. It's very true. No, no. Okay. So (laughs) let's let's get back to it. Why do they think the leopard is best? Also, there's a couple of reasons. Now, the Leopard 2 battle tank is widely regarded as one of the best made tanks in the world. It fires up to five kilometers or for our U.S. audience just over three miles. It does Uh that accurately while on the move or stationary. Oh, wow. It also tops out at almost 35 miles per hour. And and since the time is kind of limited here on the podcast, I will say I'm working on a blog comparing the various pieces of equipment that Russia uses to the pieces that Ukraine could receive in these sort of agreements. Okay, but why is there a fight over sending these tanks to Ukraine? Why is NATO getting oh well, spiked? yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for keeping me on track. Ty, did you did yes. you space out? Yeah, <laughs> <Spaced> out <laughs> or something. Okay. Now let me get back to it. Uh, okay. The the Leopard Two main battle tank was built by Germany. It was sold to like thirteen other countries, or sorry, nineteen other countries. But Germany in the war. Well, Germany has veto power if any nation were to decide to hand the tanks over to Ukraine. Now, Germany said that they will veto that move unless 
the United States offers their M1 Abrams tank, which this is, is so stupid. The the M1 Abram is not far off in quality from the Leopard. Okay. Yeah, but they probably also, you know, they'll get their hands on it. Yeah. There is, so there there's something else to bring up. I'll go on a tangent here. There is also that aspect of it. If one of the tanks were to fall into Russian hands, they could reverse yeah. engineer it, exactly. send it over to China, have them reverse engineer it. Send it to North Korea, have them reverse engineer it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a whole process, a whole thing. Okay, well, this will definitely be a story that we follow. I have no doubt that there will be tons of updates over the next month or so. Yeah. So let's get into how Bulgaria upset poor Putin by secretively <laughs> helping out Ukraine. What do you have on that? Yeah, so it may say... Hey, baby, tell us why the baby's sad. Yeah, old baby Putin. If, if I was Putin's mom. Oh, don't start that again. Don't do that. We're not doing that again. No, we already did that. We've already we've already talked crap about that. So let's that was kind of mean of us, but let's let's get back. I'm so. I'm not opposed to being mean sometimes. But I won't do it won't do it here right now. We I was gonna say that it it's kind of strange to hear this the stuff about Bulgaria because yeah. it's it's been a NATO country since two thousand four, but they've also been very friendly towards Russia. Yeah. Now, recently, unfortunately, they did have to fire their defense minister after, initially after the invasion of Ukraine happened because he refused to call it a war and then insisted on using the term special military operations. So that's where you can see how some within the Defense Department of Bulgaria was pro-Russia. Yeah. But so they fired him and it's believed that during the early stages of the war, it was actually Bulgaria that became one of the largest exporters of diesel to Ukraine. And there were even times where 40% of Ukraine's other time, other wartime needs were met by Bulgaria. So, Whoa. so it, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting turn of events. That's and awesome. That, the, the unfortunate thing is that it puts Putin's crosshairs on that tiny Balkan nation. Yeah. That will also be something we need to track as more countries may get involved as this war drags on. So let's move to the Indo-Pacific and talk New Zealand. How are things out there? Well, in a bit of a surprise to me, but from what I'm hearing, not too much of a surprise to the Kiwis out in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. The prime minister of New Zealand resigned over eight months before the elections to name a new prime minister was supposed to take place. What was her reasoning for leaving early? Well, we'll do what she told reporters and then we'll kind of get into reading between the lines. Okay. So she told reporters that she had taken time to consider her future over the summer break and said, I had hoped that I would find what I needed to carry on over that period. But unfortunately, I haven't. And I would be doing a disservice to New Zealand to continue. Oh, now, wow. Since she was elected, here's what's happened. She gave birth to a child. That alone is a tough thing. She oversaw legislation during COVID-19. They dealt with the mass shooting at Christchurch. Yeah. And then new polls have shown that her popularity is actually declining. So me reading between the lines, I yeah. think she's just exhausted. And I don't blame her. Yeah. You know, she doesn't feel that she could give 100% to her country. 
And that's not an easy decision to make. But I will say, you know, and, and I've had people back and forth. Some people loved her. Some people said that they didn't like her. But we can all agree, I think, that it's an honorable thing to make that decision. Yeah, to recognize that you just don't have it in you to give anymore. And, you know, some knowing that somebody else is probably better fit to do the job than she is. And pulling yeah. back, you know, for her mental health and her family's health and just, you know, so many things. That's that's very noble thing that she did, honestly. I 100% agree. So what do you think some of the geopolitical implications might be? Well, right now, not too much because they're going to just put another Labor Party member as the prime minister. They're going to vote on that. Okay. So what could happen if the Labor Party does fall further in the polls, New Zealand's going to see new leadership, a new party come up, much like we've seen all across the globe. So that's that's very plausible that that's going to happen. Now, I will say that the Labor Party, from what I have seen, has a pretty decent relationship with China. They, they're part of their party platform was that they've upgraded free trade agreements with China. Now, in talking to some people in New Zealand, there is another party, the ACT or ACT Party. It's a minor party in New Zealand, and okay. they are more hawkish on China. And there's a lot of people who think that that is the next party to take over. And if they do, oh man, it's going to be a wild ride in the Pacific. Well, since we're talking about New Zealand's role in the Pacific, why are Japanese policies affecting New Zealand? So Japan is beefing up their defense spending, obviously to protect them from any aggressive actions that China has towards them. And as I mentioned with the Labor Party, New Zealand is being looked at by Japan as a much needed ally but New Zealand's ties to China will make it difficult at this time to support what Japan is doing militarily. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm sure people in New, the, our New Zealand listeners are yelling at me, but I, I do want to... Feel free to email him all yeah. the nasty stuff you want to say. <laughs> but listen, I, what he's saying is I understand New Zealand is going to protect itself and its people first. Yeah, of course. But I do believe they view Japan, South Korea, and similar nations as better trade partners and clearly better allies than China. But, you know, it's we don't know what's going to happen. Only time is going to tell what the people of New Zealand decide. So this election is very important. Every country on this globe is having to take a second look at their alliance with, with China economically. The US, they're trying to monopolize everything. They yes. want, you know, it's just, it's scary. <laughs> They want to be the next United States, but in a more authoritarian role. Yeah. And just like we talked, you know, we spoke about last week, China's making a concerted effort to force countries like Canada, even the U.S., to sit out a war in the Pacific. And they want to do that to make Taiwan an easy victory for the People's Liberation Army. So a lot of geopolitical yeah. implications is what Short you're answer, saying. Short answer, sorry. Short answer, <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me, too long, didn't read. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of them. So let's talk another difficult relationship with China. Can you explain what is happening with India? I know those two nations don't really get along, but also India has said they aren't really a friend of the West either. So what is the end game here? I think it's similar to any other emerging economy. 
So mm-hmm. India wants to be a force on the global market. So they, I mean, just this week, it was announced that they may have surpassed China in population a year before analysts actually thought they would. So with that said, India believes China does not respect their borders. And honestly, I can tell you, they don't. China doesn't respect anybody's borders. East, that was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> and what problems do... Problems does India have with the U.S. and Western Europe since they don't like us either? So, well, you said the U.S. Western Europe. Let me start with we can all guess India's problem with the United Kingdom. Well, well yeah, okay, that, so that goes, goes without saying. Yes, but you know, India does also have a, a volatile relationship with the U.S. It's because a lot of Indian officials think the U.S. is not supportive of India. So during the Trump administration. He terminated India's preferential trade status, which allowed products from developing countries like India to enter the U.S. market tax-free. They wouldn't have to pay the, the tariff on that. That's messed up. So he also changed some of the rules for the H, H1 Bravo visa. That's the visa that allows like high-demand specialty occupations like doctors to live and work in the country. Because that's really set uh-huh. India back a little bit. But... Both countries do stand united against any aggressive actions from China. I just think that's where the two countries are going to notice that they are aligned and need to stay aligned. They're like, we don't like the West. You don't like the West? Me neither. Let's join for it. Let's hold hands and skip. Let's all hold hands. Let's all hold hands and skip. Hey, sometimes I don't like it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got we've got work to do on ourselves for sure. I mean... Yeah, we've got things we're still trying to work out here. But speaking of aggressive actions from China, what is this intelligence warfare they are supposedly expanding? This is scary. (laughs) Yeah, so China is expanding what they call smart deterrence concepts. It's, It's actually a significant evolution in China's use of artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. And I know you love when I say emerging technologies. Hmm. Like my go-to word, but they are, you know, developing these emerging technologies from a tactical and operational military level that then influence their strategic level decision making. So, what does that mean? That the PLA they they want to be the leaders in quote unquote intelligence warfare, as they see that that's the next battlefield, and the the country that owns the future battlefield, they're going to have a leg up. When the war, when conflict comes. And is that what China is doing with their exercises near Taiwan? Is that considered a smart deterrence concept? It is. It's 100% what it is. So China plans to continue these exercises with the threat that during those exercises, they could invade Taiwan at a moment's notice. Now, what this does is it kind of deters the U.S. or Taiwan from taking preemptive measures due to the very real chance that if they do something wrong or, or take a preemptive measure, they could kickstart a conflict and be blamed for it within the Indo-Pacific. We are getting really close to yet another major conflict here. And when we talk about a global conflict or a world war, you seem to bring up South America as an important player in this conflict. How does the news out of Colombia that they spied on Cuba and Russia change the policies within South America? Yeah, it's a very interesting event. I do think, however, that it changes very little. But 
we'll just get into it. You know, Colombian intelligence carried out surveillance operations against both Russia and Cuba, like I said. The diplomats that came from there that were stationed in Colombia between 2016 and 2019. Now, I'm going to say this. We talked about elections and changing parties within countries. So last summer, Colombia elected a new president. This new president hasn't officially come out in support of Russia, but his statements have been delivered in a way that doesn't necessarily distance himself from Putin. Now, I'll say also his predecessor did condemn the invasion as a brutal genocide, but President Petro merely stated in his statement against Russia that peace negotiations should be started and that no invasion is either good nor bad, which I don't understand that there are. What a bad sentence. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting what happens across the entire South American continent. You know, maybe all the nations there band together and sit this one out. But my guess is, especially in like the poorest nations, I think we're going to see Russia and China kind of promise economic help for access to military bases and intelligence sharing. Yeah. So absolutely. Have any of those nations come out in support of Russia? No. I'm going to say not necessarily. Okay. Most countries have called out Russia, but Bolivia and Venezuela did not say one way or the other. They stayed out of the conversation. But the politics on the continent are very fluid right now. Yeah. There does seem to be an increase in socialist leaders. And now socialist leaders could be more friendly. I'm not saying they will be, but they could be more friendly to Russia and China. Mm-hmm. Then you also have getting even closer to the United States. You've got a Central American country, Nicaragua. They actually voted not to condemn Russia for invading Ukraine. Oh, so, okay. If... This is something I'm going to have on my radar, you know, throughout this whole invasion, because if Russia can get access to that nation, it's going to be a very frightening time for North America. You're talking about putting possibly putting pieces of equipment that close to the United States, Canada, Mexico. So there's a lot of moving parts across the globe. We're moving closer to China's invasion of Taiwan every day, Russia gaining steam in Ukraine, and then all the small skirmishes that are popping off all over the world. Should people start worrying about their own safety? And if so, what preparation should be made? So I'll start with this. There's no immediate threat to the West right now. That can change at a moment's notice. It's not time to panic for, you know, our American or Canadian audiences. But for those in the Pacific, like South Korea, people should have a healthy anxiety. We we didn't even get into how North Korea this week boosted their defense spending by about 18%. That's going to have officials in Japan and South Korea very worried. So I, I don't really like saying you should be worried or you should be scared. Should you be prepared? 100%. We should always be prepared. You know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Getting your house in order, stockpiling goods for any possible situation is a smart thing to do. Oh, God. That's the prep. I'm not talking about being We're going to start digging a bunker in our backyard. I mean, I, I I don't frown upon any any of the doomsday preppers, and, and they do a lot of good things, and, and they're prepared for something. If you remember what happened in Texas last winter, when no. oh the when winter, yeah, it, the... you know, it's and the then Ted Cruz went on vacation. Yeah, there's two types of preppers, right? 
The, yeah, the there's the kind here, had food and, and clothing and, and yeah. blankets. And then there's Ted Cruz who goes to Cancun. You can yeah. be one of those two preppers. I, I, You're right. I shouldn't be making no. fun of that. <laughs> I, I Actually, if I could have some sort of bunker in my yard, I would. But our yard we would, is yeah. very big. Yeah. yeah. And guess but, what? It it huh. may just save your life. I'm not yeah. talking about nuclear war or intense conflict. What's the the electric grid in the United States is getting screwed with? Yeah. So if that goes down, and who knows how long it's going to be down before it comes back up. So we should all be prepared for those situations. We really should. It just sucks because a lot of the things that people could possibly do to prepare for such a thing is kind of out of reach. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's financially financially for most people including us you know well thank you for that is there anything else for this week after that we are out of time as always if you like this show please try to tell at least one person about us we can be found wherever you listen to podcasts if you have a moment head over to apple or spotify and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.